Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, mindset podcast. Episode 14, Therapeutic Enemas. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome to Fusion Health Radio, the health lifestyle mindset podcast. Today in studio with Dr. Michael Smith, we're going to be talking about a very interesting subject. Michael Smith is somebody who, if you haven't heard this podcast before, is a health professional here in Nelson, BC, Canada. I am his uh, techie health seeker friend that helps him put these things together. Uh, Michael, do you want to give us a quick introduction as to who you are? Yeah, so I'm a practitioner of integrative medicine. I combine functional and nutritional medicine and the vast experience and wisdom of traditional Chinese medicine. And uh, I'm just the guy who knows what all these things on the mixer board do. <laughs> there we go. Last episode, we talked about uh, episode 13 was... Emotional intelligence from a traditional Chinese medicine point of view. Yeah. And uh, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on that without going too far into it? Well, it sort of starts with the perspective that if you want to work with your feelings, um, you might have to use your mind in the sense of intelligence to do that. And sometimes if you want to figure out what you're doing with your thinking, you really have to work with how you're feeling. Because it's kind of hard to fix your mind with your mind and kind of hard to change your feelings by just, you know, focusing on your feelings. Uh, the same could be said is some things are going to change more when you are actually more physically in your body. So that was sort of perspective one is just that insight that you can you can change certain states of being by focusing on certain other aspects of the state of being. Because that's sort of the idea behind emotional intelligence. The real kind of meat of the, of the show had more to do with how uh, what we could call pathological emotions actually begin with very, very potent instincts. And if we focus in on the pathological emotion, that's just going to make us stressed out and sick. But if we use that pathological emotion to rediscover the instinct that we're actually you know, struggling with, the pathological part of the emotion goes away and we're kind of having fun with that root um, opportunity uh, or instinct, which is why we have those feelings uh, inevitably anyway. It was a very uh, interesting conversation to have with you about, uh, I guess, about mindset in and around health. And that's certainly one of the uh, more interesting parts of, I think, the conversations we have around uh, health. Uh, mindset isn't something that um, I ever really experienced a lot of help with, if ever I went to a doctor when I was a kid. So I appreciate your perspectives on that. Uh, today we're taking a bit of a 180, though. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're, we're going all the way around to the other end. We're getting away from mindset, and we're going to be talking about uh, therapeutic enemas. Uh, Michael and I are sitting here smiling at each other, just trying to think of uh, what the best way to introduce this topic is. But uh, I guess I have a curiosity. What's a therapeutic enema, and why are we actually talking about it today? Well, it occurred to me that it would be nice to throw down a podcast that was just purely practically immediately useful for the people listening so that you know some of the, some of the podcasts we've done in the past some of the ones i'm planning for the next few weeks are you know kind of geek out sessions they're really fun to get into the what how and why of uh, how certain things work in your body or you know what you can do about it um and they're you know usable information it's good to have but they're somewhat more theory than practice so today it's all about practical things you can do 
Practical. Okay. Well, I don't know that uh, enema is all that uh, practical in terms of uh, my ideas of health because um, I don't know that I've ever had one uh, performed, given to me. I don't know what the right word is to say it. So I'm kind of at a at a loss to describe uh, what I know about enema. So maybe you can just give people a quick rundown. So the first thing to do is to make a distinction between what we, we would call a colon hydrotherapy session and an enema. So if you're getting colon hydrotherapy, a person is usually a, a trained professional and you go there and you know they make you comfortable as you can in that situation. And they actually use a machine and a pretty significant volume of water that actually pushes the fluid farther around uh, the, the colon up towards your small intestine. Whereas with an enema, for most part, you have maybe a quart of water, you know, a couple liters, and um, basically, it's uh, it would look something like an old uh, hot water bottle, right? And it's basically just hanging off of something in your bathroom, and then you just are either lying in the tub or on the floor, and you know, you put a little thing in the bum, and then the water just passive passively comes in uh, by gravity, and the the volume and the amount of uh, or the distance the the fluid gets is going to be less because it's passive. So to be clear, we're talking about injecting uh, fluid of some sort up your rectum. Uh, yes. Uh, and for what uh, for what means? I mean, what's the idea around enemas? Yeah, to get to the point of that, I think I'm going to need to kind of start at the top, work our way down, and work our way back up again in, in the sense of what's going on. So let's imagine that you and I suddenly shrink down like one of those shrinking people movies. <laughs> and we're going to just sort of take a little, you know, cartoon walk through the entire digestive tract. So if we start in the mouth, you know, there's certain digestive enzymes in your mouth and quite a bit of bacteria. And if you have any kind of uh, gingivitis or any kind of infection in your mouth, the bacteria uh, volume can get quite high. And in fact, if you've had a root canal and they didn't do a very good job, you can actually have bacteria colonies kind of living in the, the root canal itself, causing problems all the way down. I suppose that's a subject for another podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, but just to give you a sense, it's all about the bacteria. Sure. So if you have a fairly healthy kind of bacteria in your mouth, yay. And if you don't, well, that's going to cause problems through your entire GI tract. Uh, obviously, if it starts in your mouth, you're going to treat it there too, but it's going to affect everything. So when we're now, yeah, Michael and Anthony are walking down <laughs> into the stomach and it's, you know, scary and, you know, fire and acid and, and stuff. And uh, there's not a lot of bacteria around your stomach um, because the stomach acid is actually functioning in a way as uh, like an antibacterial agent, uh, just killing them off just because it's acidic. Now, there's a bacteria in your stomach uh, that can survive the acid. Now, it's been around for a very long time called uh, Helicobacter by pylori, or we just call it the helicopter bug because it sounds like a helicopter, <laughs> or H. pylori. And, and that's an important thing to be aware of is that it's all about the bacteria and in your stomach, hopefully, if things are going well. So if we go below the stomach, um, typically you're going to have a 1,000 what's called CFUs or colony-forming units uh, per milliliter of fluid. So like 1,000. Sounds like a lot, but it's not. And, uh, and that's in a healthy person. Now, if a person has a lot of uh, bacterial overgrowth or other problems, weak stomach acid, then you can have more, you know, bugs basically below your stomach. And if you were to keep walking down the, you know, close to 20 feet of your small intestine, the population of bacteria goes up kind of incrementally, but it's not supposed to be really high. Now, when you get around the appendix, you're looking at about um, maybe 
a million, perhaps, uh, what are called CFUs or colony, 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 pardon me, forming units uh, per milliliter. So again, the population is really low at the top of your small intestine. It's getting higher where your ileocecal valve is, where you're just where there's. It's kind of a valve that separates your small intestine from your large intestine, and that's where your appendix is. So now you and I are going to walk through the ileocecal valve, <laughs> and now it's going to go from you know mil millions of uh, units uh, per milliliter to somewhere around you know ten with ten to twelve zeros after it. So a whole lot more. A whole lot more. So if we were to take a little right turn uh, as we wander through the GI tract, um, and we looked at the appendix, um, what's really important about your appendix is that uh, one of its jobs is to keep. Um, kind of like the backup on your computer, a backup of all of the different microorganisms that have ever lived in your GI tract. Okay. Because, you know, if you have antibiotics, that's going to wipe out a bunch of organisms. And hopefully, um, you know, what's in your appendix will eventually crawl back out there and poke up and make babies and keep the bacteria population in terms of different strains or different organisms uh, as populated as possible. Um, and that's what, you know, basically one of your appendix's primary jobs are. And if you have extended excessive antibiotic use, the danger is, is that your appendix won't have the intelligence or the vast population it needs. Uh, so again, we're walking along. Now we're in the colon and it's very crowded. Again, there's like, I don't know, trillion, million, 12 zeros. I'm not even sure what that is. A gazillion. A gazillion uh, of, of uh, you know, individual, you know, kind of bacterial organisms per milliliter of fluid. Now, that's gross in a, in a way. But I think it's important to just keep, not stressing, but uh, making the point that it's all about the bacteria. And so I guess the last thing about that would be if you took human feces and put it in a dehydrator, which I'm not suggesting anyone, anyone do this, but someone did this to figure this out. Um, and when, when you evaporate all of the water out of that, 80% of the dry weight of human feces is actually dead bacteria. Wow. So we're just crawling with bugs down there. Yeah. And they're running the show. Running the show meaning? Um, well, let's see. 95% of the neurotransmitters that your body produces to make thought, feeling, passion, curiosity, and memory possible are built cooperatively between a lot of enzymes in your gut and the bugs in your gut. Wow. So the idea of uh, having a gut feeling is pretty spot on. Yeah. I mean, you have almost as much neurological tissue uh, basically in and around your gut as you do in your spinal column in the back of your brain. So it's a, it's, it's pretty busy down there. Yeah. So, okay. There's gazillions of bacteria, um, maybe a couple of pieces of de dehydrated turd. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> um, and uh, so we're down here and we're walking around and we see all this stuff. It's a crowded place. Yeah. What goes on from here? Um, another fact that I think stresses the importance of the health of your gut is 75% of your uh, immune system's effort day to day is basically to keep your poo out of your bloodstream. Hmm. It's obviously a pretty precarious environment. You know, the membrane of your gut is one cell thick. So, you know, anything gets really messy down there and that membrane breaks down. Uh, then you're basically pooping into your blood, which is not going to make your immune system in any way happier. And that actually creates, you know, long-term infections and stuff. But uh, just to give you that that sense, you know, I mean, Hippocrates said this, was it was 2,400 years ago, all disease starts in your gut. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, pretty spot on. Yeah. So the idea, we've just gone on this trip from yep. the mouth, <laughs> esophagus, stomach, said hello to the ileocecal valve, waved at the appendix going by mm -hmm. in the colon, tons of bacteria. 
Um, and we come up to this sign. I'm going to make this up. It says, you know, enema today at four o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> but why? <laughs> so when you're looking at the, the health of the gut, again, it's based on the diversity of organisms. And um, most people today, given antibiotic use, but more probably more importantly, overuse of sugar, uh, excess to, uh, excessive starch consumption, uh, the effect that stress has on the function of your gut. A lot of people's um, GI tract is experiencing what's called dysbiosis or an imbalance in the life forms and critters in your gut. So all of those critters and bacteria and everything that's in the gut, as much as they're uh, bad news, um, if they get outside of the gut, they're all pretty happy good neighbors, all kinds of things. They actually know what they're doing together. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a thing we call symbiosis, right, where everyone's working together, including us. Hmm. And then there's dysbiosis, which means we're not really working together the way that we used to. Okay. And dysbiosis is at the root of, I don't know, so many chronic illnesses, especially things that turn into... Um, <clears throat> Uh, turns into autoimmune conditions, turns into inflammatory disorders, turns into especially mood disorders, uh, anxiety, depression, insomnia, uh, and al almost all of like uh, skin things, psoriasis, eczema. I mean, the whole process of that basically starts with dysbiosis. So when we think of correcting that, uh, you know, the thing you're going to see in the health food store is probiotics. Right, take the capsule, swallow it down, do this, you know, once, twice, three times a day. And over time, it's going to correct the dysbiosis. And that's possibly true. And I wouldn't say don't do that. The concern I have, and I've seen this happen many times, is uh, especially nowadays with probiotics being, for whatever reason, it's this mad rush to have more billions and more strains and more potency. And, you know, as Westerners, I think we just have that weird... I don't know, fetish, you know, bigger, My, badder, stronger. <laughs> My acidophilus is bigger than your acidophilus. <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, and again, we go back to the little space, you know, as we follow their car, our cartoon cells back through the gut, carrying some probiotics with us. You know, if the probiotics actually make it through the hellish fire of your stomach, which most of them won't, um, you're still going to have these massive billions of things in an environment that's supposed to have 1,000 colony forming units per milliliter and you just you know took you know maybe took two capsules so you know i got a, i got a hundred billion of those little bad boys down there and obviously that's still therapeutic or we wouldn't have them all over the place but what often happens is the good guys in your probiotic pill outcompete the other good guys right below the stomach and then you have not enough of a certain strain of good guys and too much of another strain of good guys. And as that uh, population ripple effect kind of descends through the small intestine, it can cause more problems further down. So it's almost like you're amplifying the, di if I can say this, I'm not the, remember, I'm not the doctor here, <laughs> but you can correct me on this. You're amplifying the dysbiosis Absolutely. by introducing more, um, more bacteria be it good or otherwise into the yeah. gut well they're, they're always trying to get as many of the good ones as they can but again too much of a good thing turns out to be a bad thing and as that population ripple effect goes down through the ileocecal valve it may or may not cause uh, flare-ups with your appendix through what's called a herxenheimer reaction which is when the good guys start killing off the bad guys in massive numbers because now we're looking at 12 zeros instead of three <laughs> mm. Uh, you know, it might be doing good things, but when bacteria kill off other bacteria, they're, the bacteria of the dead body 
the, the loser bacteria. <laughs> yeah, his uh, membrane, outer membrane, is going to express something called lipopolysaccharide or LPS. And that could basically goes right through your gut membrane. Uh, gets into your vascular system, causing all kinds of secondary symptoms. Your liver's, you know, basically swooning on the floor and your kidneys are wanting to run out the back door. And uh, the LPS can get through your blood-brain barrier, making you very unhappy or very forgetful or, you know, lots of brain fog and stuff. So, and that's again a Herx reaction or, uh, you know, it happens with antibiotics. It happens with probiotics. It's going to happen by accident. So hang on a sec there. Uh, let's just talk about that. It, what's the name for it again? The Herxheimer? Uh, Herxheimer reaction. Herxheimer reaction. So I've heard of something called a healing crisis. Yeah. Is that the same thing? Mm-hmm. So essentially your body is just um, trying to cope. So do, again, my words, not the doctor's words. Um, if I'm trying to understand what you're saying, my body has a bunch of uh, bacteria that's died off, but it ain't out of me yet. And it's still bacteria. So all of that rotten, stinking bacteria is just rotten and stinking. And it's coming out of, you know, uh, brain fog and all those other kind of things that, yeah, okay, been there. <laughs> that, yeah. that, that sounds familiar. Yeah. And I mean, it's sometimes it's inevitable that it's going to go that way. Okay. Uh, sometimes it doesn't. I mean, people just feel better right away. I mean, sometimes it just, you know, depends on the, I don't know, called the, good fortune fairy of probiotic choice because you might, you know, I'll go with acidophilus this time and you, you're fine or you're going to take a bifida strain and then you're sick and uh, I don't know, your life partner could have the exact opposite reaction to the, you know, you're loving the acidophilus and she's on the floor with a migraine. So you're like, what happened? Yeah. So it's it's kind of, a, it's just sort of a bit of a roulette thing. And uh, anyway, so now we have a bunch of good guys storming the castle of your colon taking about out as many of the ones that they're naturally going to uh, outcompete uh, and or actually kill. Um, hopefully that actually does some good. So my concern with just taking probiotics orally is uh, you can't really control the overall uh, impact um, throughout the small intestine. You're not really going to have as much control over what happens with your appendix. And, you know, you're, you're basically changing populations in in uh in the, in an order that just doesn't really make as much sense as it does to take the probiotics and or any other therapeutic opportunity which we can get into a bunch um, and actually just put it in some fluid and put it into your colon where the highest population of living and dying bacteria is actually doing the living and dying right and there's less uh, absorptive vascular tissue around there because near the end of the I don't know, the colony war of the colon, <laughs> for some reason, it sounds like a fun thing to say. Um, near the end uh, of the descending colon and rectum, there's very little actual absorption going on in the sense of nutrient absorption. So the die-off process and the reorganization of the dysbiosis in the sense of trying to get as many healthy populations as possible happens in the place where the least secondary side effects are going to happen. So if uh, if I understand you right, all of the activity that happens in my colon through the whole length of my colon mm. past my stomach, um, there's not a lot of activity bacteria wise that happens at the lower half of it or the, you know, closest to my rectum. Mm -hmm. Um, because that's just kind of like where it all just sort of waits until it, until it exits. I mean, basically that, that the only function of the, you know, tail end of your digestive system is to absorb water out of the feces so that you can form a, a normal stool. And that water does contain certain nutrients and stuff. And the bacteria is producing certain nutrients. So you are absorbing a certain amount, but not nearly as much as you would be 
you know, say at your appendix or your small intestine. Yeah, you absorb 98% of your entire nutrients in the membrane of your small intestine. Right? Mm. Some things you absorb through your stomach and very few things you absorb through your colon. So, so it sounds like it's pretty important for your gut to be in good health. Mm-hmm. I mean, 98%. <laughs> if that's not working, nothing's working, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. So um, we've been talking about uh, the um, invasion of the colon snatchers. I don't know what, what are we talking <laughs> about here. We've been talking about uh, bacteria, good, bad, uh, too many good, killing the killing things off, uh, dysbiosis, and um, healing crises and that sort of stuff. So okay, now we're coming back to the topic of the day. So what does an enema do to sort of straighten things out? Honestly, it depends on what you put in the enema. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or what would you put into an enema? Either into the enema, into the liquid? I mean, tell me more. So, so I mean, as a clinician, I mean, given a certain diagnosis, that tells me the treatment. So if a person has, say, a bleeding hemorrhoid, we're going to be working with things that are anti-inflammatory and things that actually stop bleeding you know, in the sense of coagulate blood and things mm-hmm. like that. And you need the inflammation to go down for the tissue to repair itself. You could even be adding, uh, say, uh, something like uh, L-glutamine, uh, which is a fuel, an amino acid fuel for the actual growth of the mucous membrane of, of your GI tract, specifically actually the uh, surface membrane part. So you could throw in, again, something for inflammation, something to stop bleeding. Um, and you can, there's a Chinese herb that's really good for that. Yeah, you can also use activated charcoal, which is also going to help stop bleeding. It's also going to absorb a lot of that LPS, the lipopolysaccharide that would happen if you were to use something that was going to kill off bacteria. So, I mean, the, if I was to go with kind of like the Cadillac formula, I'd be using uh, probably golden seal root, gentian root, which are both antimicrobial herbs, right? So they get in there and they're actually kind of working in a way similar to an antibiotic, but in a more natural way. Then I would typically be putting in probiotics. And if I'm going with something simple, then I would just use like, you know, a few of the acidophilus strains. If I wanted a, a really specific effect, then I would choose a very specific kind of probiotic. Say there's Sacbulardi, which is more of a fungus than a probiotic, and it actually eats yeast. So if you're trying to get rid of Candida, uh, which is a yeast that can turn into a fungus, then you're going to want to make sure that you're using the Sacbulardi because it gets in there and actually just feeds on the yeast. You know, um, being a person who's sort of pro medical marijuana, I would often put in granulated uh, cannabis root powder which is very high in CBD, which is the alkaloid that deals with inflammation and it modulates your immune system. So mm-hmm. the um, ingredients of whatever it is that you take uh, as an enema, mm-hmm. um, okay, my mind is just exploding with questions here. Number one, uh, this is some sort of a vitamin herb uh, cocktail. I don't know if I'd use vitamins so much uh, because, again, you're not absorbing nutrients uh, as significantly at that end of the colon. Okay. So, sorry, uh, my, my bad. When I thought vitamins, I was thinking of things like what you said around probiotics. Mm-hmm. I go to a vitamin store. That's where I buy that stuff. No, but I mean, just I'm not picking on that. I'm just saying I'm, I'm sure. actually glad you said that because, I mean, that's that's where the mind naturally goes is what else can I put in there that's good for me. Right. You're trying to put things in, in the enema that are effectively going to correct the dysbiosis, deal with any kind of clinical uh, and, you know, functional structural change to the colon itself. So if you're looking at colitis, uh, certain uh, kinds of Crohn's disease, diverticuli, polyps, hemorrhoids, chronic diarrhea, IBS, like there's all kinds of things that are going on. 
And one of the root causes is the dysbiosis. So by turning that around, I've, I mean, I've seen research. Uh, there's a David Perlmutter. I don't think he's a brain surgeon, but I'm pretty sure he's a board-certified neurologist. And he's got a couple of really great books out. And his whole thing is, if you want to heal your brain, you have to heal your gut. Hmm. And he works with kids with autism and ADD. And, you know, his go-to thing is, well, let's start with therapeutic enemas and get the dysbiosis back to normal. And then you're having less of that LPS, that really nauseous molecule that can pass through your gut membrane and get into your brain. So now your brain's on fire. Right. Inflammation in your brain is the root cause of many, many chronic things from uh, depression, anxiety, insomnia, ADD, ADHD, autism, all kinds of stuff. So step one, put the fire out in your gut. Then get the fire out of your brain and then start restoring the brain with other um, nutraceuticals and diet and stuff. And you see all these young people, you know, suddenly go from a certain class of autism to a much less intense one. You know, kids with ADD all of a sudden having way less, uh, you know, problem with, you know, say, parents in school and friends and stuff. So just weird as it is, you know, you want to fix your brain? All right, well, it's time to go to the bathroom with your happy little animal bag and okay, so, get, yeah. to, get to know some interesting therapeutic formulas. Let me, let me stop you there. One of the other questions I had was... Um, now that I'm more convinced that this is an idea that uh, maybe a, a, a beneficial health protocol for me to follow mm -hmm. um, is how do I follow it? Like, do I just Google enemarecipe.com or something? Like, how do I know what to put in there? I'm pretty sure that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cause, I mean, my concern is that uh, the listener is thinking, oh, wow, hey, I can put a whole bunch of things into an enema and make myself healthy. Is there any kind of danger to them sort of making stuff up or? Well, I mean... If you're making stuff up, that's on you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this is where the caveat warning should be. You mm -hmm. know, do not do this without first speaking to a healthcare professional who actually understands gut ecology and how enemas work and all of that. Um, I mean, any functional medicine doctor, any integrative medicine doctor, probably any naturopath, uh, some chiropractors are trained in functional medicine. I mean, I know this is going to sound bad, but if you're going to go see a pharmaceutical doctor, you know, mainstream Western doctor, they may may or not have any idea about gut GI ecology and dysbiosis and all of that stuff. I have a job because they don't take care of those things, which is embarrassing for them, but, you know, busy for me. <laughs> but you may actually come across a mainstream doctor who actually is really apprised of a lot of this uh, new research that's coming out and uh, they, they may be able to guide you through that process, but try and find someone like me and just have a quick chat. I mean, you can get, contact me through the integrativehealthsolutions.ca website and we could do a quick Skype consult or something if you're just, you sure. can't find anybody locally to sit down with you and make sure you're making the right decision. So I guess ultimately, if one is actually keen to try something like this, mm -hmm. to, to go down this route, uh, and it sounds like there's lots of interesting reasons why you would want to do that, mm -hmm. um, getting help is certainly something to look at first. I mean, it isn't something you just want to do by, you know, like I said, jokingly dialing up Google and saying, hey, what can I stick up my arse? That's well, I, I'll walk you through what you're going to find on Google. Okay. So most commonly you're going to find as an apple cider vinegar enema. It's a very specific kind of fermented, um, I don't know, compound, if you will, as a medicine. It's also a really nice thing to put in your salad dressing. <laughs> and it's also really nice to put it up your bum. <laughs> Um, because there's a thing in... Just be mindful of which order you're actually making that dressing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Honey, have you seen the cider vinegar? <laughs> uh, so, you know, it'd be probably a couple of tablespoons in uh, two liters of 
water is warmed up just above body temperature. And the actual kind of probiotic structure in apple cider vinegar is really good for the ecology of your gut because it has its own bacteria that grow and, you know, compete for things. So it's kind of a re-inoculation process in that way. And the vinegar itself is going to have its own uh, kind of uh, anti-microbial effect because vinegar is used as a preservative because it kills bugs. It's just killing the right bugs in the right place. Okay. So that would be one thing I'd find if I looked online. Yep. Another very common thing is to be using kefir. If you make your own kefir at home, you're going to get quite a lot of different strains of probiotics. If you buy it in the store, it's usually going to have sugar in it and you're going to have... I think it's maybe 60% of the available strains that you would have in a homemade brew. Okay. In a nutshell, kefir is? Basically probiotic milk. Okay. Which is uh, a lot more runny than yogurt. Same idea though, right? Yeah. And it's, sometimes it's fermented to the point where there's actually carbon dioxide. So it's kind of like thin milky yogurt, yogurt beer. <laughs> okay. Just for fun. And uh, that's a very common thing to put in an enema as well. But you would want to heat it up to, again, body temperature, but not much above that because you're trying not to kill the probiotics. Um, another common one would be baking soda. Uh, you have to be very careful. Big warning, red lights flashing. <laughs> uh, if you use too much uh, baking soda uh, in an enema, what unfortunately can happen is your body becomes too alkaline and you could die. So big warning. <laughs> wow. Use just a very small amount, um, and because of its effect on uh, your GI tract, it has a lot of benefit. See, uh, another common thing, obviously, would be just using probiotics. So you take, you know, four or five, six probiotic capsules, put it in some lukewarm water, stir it up. I would usually recommend putting a pre a prebiotic in there too, which is something that the probiotics feed on, and you can use like ap apple pectin powder, uh, inulin powder, other, other things like that. So that, again, once the probiotics get in there, do what they can for the dysbiosis, and then there's the food to keep them running their ecology so that they, you know, stay in place. Uh, antimicrobials, again, there's lots of different herbs you can, you know, use. Um, Anti-inflammatories, you know, the, the list goes on. I mean, usually what I do with uh, enemas is it's either mostly focusing on the antimicrobial probiotic part or something that's focusing on inflammation and bleeding. Because it's kind of those are the two things, and they kind of happen in in order. I had a curiosity: is there anything else that you can use other than just water? Because isn't there such a thing as like a coffee enema? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually forgot to to mention that. Um, that would have been embarrassing because coffee enemas are actually one of the most astoundingly beneficial things you can do. So Hank, it, you, you talked about um, with the compounds that you actually put into the the water being kind of minimal. Mm -hmm. A little bit of this kind of herb and, you know, probiotic stuff that goes into a large volume of water. Hmm. When we're talking coffee enemas, are we saying two liters of coffee? or is no, it I think I would put a cup of coffee in about a liter of water. Okay. Um, preferably really healthy organic brewed coffee. I'm not sure I, I'm really, I don't think it's a really good idea to take actual coffee grounds, boil it up, and then take the coffee grounds and the coffee and the water and then put that up there. Because I think that might, the oils and the coffee beans that are still in the enema might be too irritating. But uh, when you just take some coffee, some water, and again, you could throw in all that other stuff too that we've talked about already, and use that as an enema, there's a, and I won't get into the science of it, it's a bit technical, but there's a thing that coffee enemas do that stimulate 
what's called your glutathione system, which is basically your liver's ability to detoxify a whole bunch of different things throughout your uh, out of your blood, right? and obviously out of your body. So a coffee enema is one of the fastest ways to upregulate the detox pathway of your liver. You know, and I think uh, the number that comes to my mind, and I, I can't reference this, so it's a guess, is that it amplifies that for by 2,000% for somewhere for like upwards of 90 minutes. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, for some reason, Keith Richards comes to mind. <laughs> so if you're looking to detox um, you know, <laughs> a lot fast, is that what you're If you're saying? trying to save yourself from, you know, overdoing it, uh, right. that, that would be kind of step one. Uh, I've never seen anyone have a really bad uh, peripheral symptomatic reaction in the sense that suddenly their psoriasis got worse. Um, but a coffee enema is definitely the one that's going to give you the hardest time to retain it. And this brings up something else um, we haven't talked about is, you know, most enemas you want to try and hold in for a minimum of 20 minutes. Um, and that may mean you're just staying on the bathroom floor for 20 minutes because if you're walking around, you might end up, you know, messing up your carpet. <laughs> Letting go. And uh, that brings up another uh, practical thing is um, if you've never done something like this before, again, please see your clinician. Uh, but you're probably going to want to evacuate what's in your bowels if you have a pretty big enema actually in your bathtub. Instead of the toilet. Because if you sit on the toilet and everything comes out explosively, <laughs> we're getting a little graphic here, <laughs> but it's going to hit the water and then basically come up and cover you and the bottom of your toilet seat and maybe all over the bathroom. Um, so unless you're aware of how you respond to certain enemas, especially coffee ones, because they're going to come out more because uh, it stimulates the peristalsis a bit. Um, yeah, just, you know, FYI, it could be messy. Yeah. Okay. So uh, coffee is a part of not uh, the complete enema just itself. Well, I would say, I mean, I mean, if you're going to get into this, you might as well commit, you know, <laughs> do a few. Maybe do a coffee enema by itself and see how you respond to that. Then do coffee with some antimicrobials and probiotics. And, and, you know, obviously if that's in your situation appropriate. But again, it'd be best to sit down with somebody and actually formulate the most appropriate compounds to be, you know, correcting dysbiosis, cleaning up the mess and, you know, solving problems. Good advice. So you've been talking about the uh, the things that people can find online mm -hmm. and uh, talking about the reasons why somebody would want to do this and all the mechanics behind that, mm -hmm. all the things that go wrong that make you actually want to do all this sort of thing. Do you have an example? Do you know somebody that can you share something from your clinic? Maybe sure. some kind of experience? Sure. Um, sorry, there's, it's like files are falling into my brain from all over the place. Uh, this woman came in a while ago. Uh, she has cystic acne. And it's a pretty, you know, severe, you know, in the sense of mostly it's her, her lower face, but, you know, neck, upper back. So sorry, cystic acne, I think of um, the kind of acne that leaves those sort of craters and pockmarks on the face. Yeah. So it's going to leave a, a lot of actual trauma. And that kind of acne is, I would say, clinically like an autoimmune condition because it's way more serious. And that process is actually happening structurally in other parts of your body. It's just we see that every day in the mirror and go, oh, my God. Uh, so we got her on the right kind of diet and uh, herbs and things for her immune system in the sense of from the top down. And we wanted to see how she was doing with that. So I think it was about three weeks before, uh, she had kind of, you know, baseline with all of that stuff and was feeling much better. Uh, and then it came to the probiotic <laughs> anime experiment. 
Um, so we mixed a bunch of stuff up for her in the sense of antimicrobials, probiotics, some anti-inflammatories, and some stuff to absorb all the LPS, uh, which is usually, I just use activated charcoal, but there's other things out there. Uh, you can also use like bentonite clay, pascalite clay to absorb all the, I don't know, the mess that happens from the war of correcting dysbiosis. And she got on those every uh, three days, basically the period of a month. And uh, like I saw her just before the end of the month had, had uh, transpired and there was no redness, there was no new uh, acne, no cysts. So, I mean, she had the scar tissue and stuff still there. Um, but and it, it, interesting, it had calmed down basically from the top down in the sense of it was her cheeks were clear, then her chin was clear, then her neck was clear, then her back was clear. So the enema itself, like you, st- you talked about working from the top down with, mm-hmm. you know, diet and nutrition and that sort of thing, and then working mm-hmm. from the bottom up yeah. um, or bottom in, however that wants to be said, um, actually affected the physical uh, appearance that you of the acne on her on her back, her neck, her face, all that sort of thing. Yeah, because most of what's going on with the acne is there's an inflammatory process process that causes the redness and swelling, and okay. that's going pretty hot throughout your gut while it's going throughout your skin. Um, then there's all of the sort of off-gassing from dysbiosis, and that gets through the gut membrane into your lymphatic system, and that changes your lymphatic immunity. And then part of your lymphatic system is trying to find a way to express itself through your skin. And that's what all the white gooey pussy stuff is, basically, you know, weird lymphatic goo that's now, you know, being produced during the infection process in the gut. So by getting all of the stuff in the gut calmed down, now the stuff that's moving through your lymphatic system isn't damaging your lymphatic tissue in a way that makes it, you know, want to run screaming out of your face or your back. And that approach of uh, a better diet certainly is something that needs to be taken care of ongoing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Does the enema need to be a regular part of her diet as well with her condition? I I would estimate in in her condition, um, given her age and lifestyle and stuff like that, that uh, probably after Christmas things are going to look a little more, you know, flared up and stuff or it could be halloween it could be whatever easter the times when younger people are prone to just you know pound back a bunch of sugar and crap and you know all the it's always sugar and too much starch so i think if she had you know in the future ends up you know binging out on sugar and forgetting the fact that she's you know spent months trying to correct this complicated problem she just have to go back on that same protocol you know back to the serious diet and then at that month of doing about 10 enemas in a row Wow. So the the example that you gave there of, you know, how gut health in the colon, um, in the GI tract, how that affects the the health and how that affects the physical appearance, you know, it shows up on the skin. Because mm-hmm. I guess, you know, the, the, your gut's pretty closely related to your skin, is it not? Well, I mean, this is a, a weird thing, but your guts actually are your skin in the sense that it's a membrane that's interacting with the outside world. Hmm. So this is the weird example that I use. So... <laughs> I'll just throw it down. If you swallow a marble and the marble goes through your entire GI tract and then you poop out the marble, hopefully, uh, that marble is never, never technically inside the physiological uh, aspects of your body, right? It was never in your bloodstream. It was never inside your immune system. So technically, all the way through your GI tract, that marble was still outside of your body. Okay. And so uh, by that comparison or that analogy, rather... Um, if my gut is outside of my body, then the outside of my body is going to be affected if my gut's out of whack. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, the the 
basic thing is, is, I mean, if the skin of your GI tract is breaking down, you're going to probably have some other kind of skin problem. It could be acne because of that process. It could be psoriasis because of a different process or eczema. And it's also genetics, right? There's a guy who just came in the last week, um, pretty severe, I mean, pretty severe psoriasis, you know, and he's tried everything, you know, from the pharmaceutical surgical route around topical stuff and, you know, even antibiotics and stuff. So before you get too far into the story, how did the psoriasis show up on him? Uh, giant red patchy lesions all over arms, legs, head to toe, like. Oh, wow. I was just like, wow, that's, you have impressive psoriasis, sir. <laughs> um, and there's a fungal component to psoriasis as well as the inflammatory kind of autoimmune thing. So in his case, it's the same kind of protocol, about three weeks of immune modulation, uh, uh, anti-inflammatory foods, diets, um, you know, basically just trying to get his immune system and his GI tract to go back to normal, starve out the bad guys, more probiotic foods like, you know, kimchi, kefir, sauerkraut, kombucha, and all that. Because you need to give the body as much natural momentum and also to see where a person's physiology is at. Because if certain things don't self-correct within three weeks, it's going to take longer. But once a person, what I call baselines, or symptomatically sort of gets to a certain plateau of improvement, that's when um, it would be appropriate to add more uh, therapeutic protocols like a therapeutic enema. If you do too many things at once, you know, more likely than anything, you're going to have that Herxheimer die-off healing reaction thing and be really uncomfortable, but not know exactly which of the things you're taking was too much. I would suggest too that, um, I mean, aside from the actual physiological response to that, if I'm doing too many things at once, because I've done this in the, in the past, it's like, oh, hey, there's 10 different things I can do to help myself. And then I don't know what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. And then when something does go wrong, it's like, oh, I have no idea what actually, you know, what was the what was the culprit? Uh, there's yeah. no way to narrow down what the, the issue was. And the converse is true as well that uh, you take a bunch of stuff and you're suddenly feeling better. Do I have to keep taking all of this stuff all of the time? Or was there just one of these things had the magic bullet? And Right. So it's better to follow like a, a, a protocol that a lot of people have a lot of experience with. Um, mostly so that you and your, your, you know, clinician are pretty sure which of the things did what good or bad in the sense of healing reaction or, you know, spontaneous relief. So it sounds like the idea of a therapeutic enema is a very uh, pragmatic, um, simple, I want to say gentle way to heal the lining of the gut, which, uh, and your brain and your skin and your liver and your kidneys. <laughs> well, I was going to say, and which connects <laughs> to everything else in the body. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. Um, one of the things I'm doing, I'm, but maybe I think we've announced this on a previous podcast, but I'm starting a supplement company. Uh, it's going to be basically focused around the stuff that I do with the protocols that I practice. And a lot of it's going to be kind of food based instead of just, uh, not I'm a, I don't really want to just reinvent invent the wheel of, you know, all the typical vitamins you can already buy. But, um, one of the things we're developing is going to be a little, uh, like anima kit you know, where all of the different things for inflammation or bleeding or uh, the probiotics and antimicrobials and other factors and even the prebiotics are all going to be in little, like a little envelope that you can just, you know, grab 10 of them if you're going to do 10 enemas. And I'm trying to source out the actual enema bag kit. That way I can basically, people can come and see me and instead of wandering all over the place trying to find all of this stuff, it's like, you know, here's probably like 20 bucks. Here's your entire kit with, you know, a bunch of the pre-mixed stuff that you're going to need. Because that, that way it's just easier for people. It'd be a one-stop one stop shop. 
Yeah, I mean, and it's a, a pretty much of service to the you know the people who are just like, I mean, I guess because I'm a little bit of a nerd researchaholic. For for me, like the idea of running around putting all this stuff together and making it and seeing what happens, that's that's kind of you know that's where you live fun Tuesday night or something. <laughs> but for a lot of people with jobs and kids and you know diseases and stuff, the idea of having to go and reinvent how to put all this stuff together on their own and you know it it's just. It's just, I don't know, it seems like the compassionate thing to just you know, have it available for people. Well, uh, convenience is uh, definitely uh, a commodity. Mm-hmm. And if it's a convenient health thing that's actually got some science education behind it, that's even better, I'd say. Yeah, and convenience is a big part of compliance in the sense of, you know, me imagining my patient going off and doing everything I said and then almost... Most often they come back and, well, I haven't really got on that yet. I haven't found this other thing yet. And, you know, I'm like, wow, well, okay. <laughs> I just want you guys to just try this out because it might really help you. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think that might be a good spot to end it there because I, um, I'm just looking at the clock there. If people have more questions uh, around this whole idea, uh, the best way for them to get in touch with you around that would be Facebook. Uh, yeah, so we have the Fusion Health Radio uh, Facebook page, which I think we should probably put some, I don't know, cool pictures up or something. <laughs> Maybe some uh, Dr. Mike's enema bags. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so if you have any question that you'd like to see uh, addressed on the show or a topic you'd like to hear us talk about, uh, just put it up there on the Facebook page. And uh, you can find the show on iTunes, which is hopefully how you found it, uh, in, in case if maybe you found this episode through social media or something like that. So if you're looking for the rest of our fun episodes, they're up on iTunes. You can get the uh, complete catalog. <laughs> just search for Fusion Health Radio on iTunes. Um, This has been episode 14 of Fusion Health Radio, the health, lifestyle, and mindset podcast, Therapeutic Animas. Great conversation today, Michael. I certainly learned a little bit more around the whole idea. Um, Anything else that you wanted to add to this to to top it off for the day? Uh, Again, if you're going to go in this direction with your health, please contact somebody who knows enough about this to make sure you don't end up making yourself really sick. Great advice. Um, Thanks. I guess we'll see you in the next show. All right, cook well, eat well, and be well. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.